And welcome back to Creative Blessings. Today, Father Nico and I will be talking again about uh, comics, pop culture, and theology on Creative Blessings, Episode 5. Welcome back, Father. Thanks for having me, Chris, and thanks for doing this. And Thank you. And Pranya for today. Pranya Palaf. Yeah, Panayoti, my brother, and uh, my grandma. My grandmother was a Mary, so yeah, lots of uh, lots of Ronya Polas in our our side of the family. <laughs> Great, God bless uh, them and all of us. Absolutely, same to you. Thank so, you. how was services? Uh, I was at Vespers last night, and uh, we did, unfortunately didn't. I couldn't make it today because of a prior commitment. I know that's horrible to say, but. Uh, I never missed the fifteenth, but um, uh, we were at Vespers and we took we had communion on our on this past Sunday. So beautiful, yeah. No, it's great. You know, it seems like I think August fifteenth is probably the most well attended weekday liturgy of the year, at least in our parish. Yeah, it's always it's always uh, next to Easter, the next most populated. Uh, even I think more than Christmas, if they're not in Greece, if they're not in the Horio going to the little chapels. <laughs> right, right. No, it's a beautiful day. Actually, um, today is uh, a very meaningful day for me and my family, um, in part because uh, today is actually my anniversary of ordination to the priesthood, oh. August 15th. Uh, I was ordained seven years ago. I was ordained seven years ago today to the priesthood after having been a deacon for um, just under three years. Um, so this year is, you know, 10 years of ordination. And also tomorrow is Presbyterian and I, uh, our 10th anniversary. Yeah. Wedding. Oh, God bless. Congratulations. We're going on our 10th this year as well. We're, uh, in Is that no right? Yeah, November 28th awesome. will be awesome. 10 years. So, yeah, we share that in common. Very nice. Well, congratulations on your uh, your anniversaries. <laughs> That's great news. Thank you, my friend. So, yeah, beautiful day today. Oh, it is. It's one of my favorites. It's, it's, um, it's beautiful yet somber at the same time. You know, there's a... Well, that's the whole that's the whole thing of, uh, you know, about our faith is that uh, and this is just in case anyone wants to anyone wants to know, we can we can segue into the the topic today. Um, We are going to talk about Panagia, but one of the things I guess to start off with is to frame why we celebrate today as opposed to September 8th, which is her nativity. It's her birthday. Um, The reason being is that, you know, we celebrate Chris, you probably already know this, too, Mm -hmm. especially with your wife being a Sunday school teacher. But. Um, we celebrate the day that a person died, not the day that the person was born, at least in terms of a saint's feast day. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one is that in the ancient church, in the ancient world, um, uh, astrology was still a huge deal to the point where, you know, it was wrapped up in paganism and wrapped up in false gods and all kinds of other things. And the pagans were the ones that really celebrated, um, you know, the time of year you were born because it determined... That they believed your behavior and who you were as a person, um, you know, to, to, you know, quintessentially bigger of a deal than it is nowadays, you know, in the newspaper, you know, reading it once a day or something like that, <clears throat> even though I don't I don't get that either. But that's that's another story. But so anyway, so to separate themselves from paganism was one reason. And also, secondly, the Christians celebrated the day that a person was joined to the kingdom. Not uh, not because they died per se, but it's because they went to be with God. And so, given the fact that Panagia, um, you know, by definition, by her name, Panagia, all holy, um, was the greatest of the saints. You know, today is is the biggest day um, of any saint feast day in our church. You know, August fifteenth. So it's a 
it's a very rich tradition that we have. Absolutely. I just wanted to, I thought maybe you could bring something up and maybe answer it from a theological perspective. I've, I've had this question come to me over the past, well, most of my adult life, really, and I, usually it's answered in the same way that I answer it is, um, and it's usually coming from either another denomination, other than Catholicism, mostly Protestants or non-Christians, why is Mary elevated to such a level? What's this Mariology uh, emphasis, and why, if so, why aren't women ordained in the in your church? So I thought maybe that's something you know I thought you would answer maybe if if anybody's listening because I know that's a question I get a lot. Well, I have never heard of it actually leading into the question of female ordination. Um, that's an interesting one, but it, I guess it makes sense how it's connected in that way. Um, well, you know, it's funny because I talked about this just last Monday night when we did we were doing services. Um, so there's two questions, I think, on the table. Number one is, is Mary's place in our church? And number two, of course, is, you know, the ordaining women. So I'll go to the first one first. Um, quite simply, um, well, there's a lot of reasons that are cultural as well as theological. I mean, you know, um, I would say, I mean, a simple answer is in the Mediterranean world, I mean, I think motherhood is celebrated a great deal. I think that, you know, we all, especially us Greek boys, um, we all have soft spots for our, for our mama. Right. Um, and I know, I know my two boys, I mean, my goodness, like you just can't separate them from mom. Um, and I, and I, and that's all fine and good now. I tell my wife, but it's like later on, if, if they're 30 years old and still living in the house and you doing their laundry, we have a problem, okay? Yeah, um, it's, <laughs> it happens a lot, though. <laughs> it happens a lot. I mean, you know that. <laughs> anyway, but, um, anyway, so that's that's the simple answer. And you can see it in, in the Italian culture as well, even in the Middle East. There's a very much a celebration of motherhood. In terms of theologically, um, there's a lot of reasons for this. And, and it's, you know, you can I can write a whole book about every single Old Testament prefigurement of the mother of God, the burning bush, the Ark of the Covenant, Jacob's ladder, Gideon's fleece, etc. I mean, there's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of reasons for this. Um, I'll just point to two. Um, and because they are, because I, I mentioned these two a couple nights ago at services, like I said, in the book of Psalms, there is a verse that says, at, uh, I believe it's Psalm 45. I could be wrong on that one. I need to double check. But in Psalm 45, I think, there is a verse that says, at your right hand stood the queen clothed in an embroidered mantle of gold. At your right hand stood the queen clothed in an embroidered mantle of gold. Now, again, this is the book of Psalms. This is eons. This is millennia before Mary, um, or at least centuries anyway, maybe maybe a millennium. I forget exactly when King David lived. but um, And I'd be interested to hear, honestly, what the Jewish definition explanation for that would be, because it definitely very clearly refers to a queen. Um, this prayer is something that is read by the priest at every um, before every liturgy when when there when the priest is preparing the gifts for the liturgy, he cuts out the host that is going to become the body of Christ, you know, later in the liturgy. Um, but there's also commemorations made for the mother of God, uh, all the saints and individual names in the parish. And that verse is what the priest reads when he when he cuts out the portion for Mary. So at your right hand stood the queen clothed in an embroidered mantle of gold is what we read for Mary. So there's that in and of itself right there. We have always taken to, to mean, you know, the mother of God. Um, it, it doesn't mean that she was married to God, you know, like king and queen in that way. Um, but nevertheless, there is a very high place of honor 
in which she's placed uh, in that way. Um, the book of Revelation also has a verse. I mean, the book of Revelation is, is a tricky one because, you know, it's too easily misinterpreted given, you know, how prophetic it is and how symbolic and metaphorical it is in a lot of ways. But there is a verse in there as well in, in Revelations chapter 12 that talks about um, a lady um, who was in the heavens with 12 stars as her crown. Um, let me see if I can look it up on my phone while we're talking about it. Um, but um, so there's talking about stars. You know, she's adorned with stars. Um, and at first, I want to say like either having the sun as her footstool or something like this. Um, let's see here. Anyway, um, forgive me. I'm looking it up on my phone That's to fine. see if I can contact verse. But um, in any case, so you know, and I'll see if I can look it up while we're talking. But um, so this this always was interpreted, you know, by the early Christians as being something that was very, very, you know, very much an indication of Mary. Um, so there's the, the queen, you know, who stood at his right hand. There's the lady who was adorned with the stars. And that, that's why actually in our iconography, uh, Mary has, um, you know, as often has the three stars around her. There's one on her shoulder and one on her forehead. Um, I want to say there might even be some Roman Catholic icons that have 12 stars. Okay. Um, I could go into a lot of the Old Testament references. I mentioned Jacob's ladder, which was seen as a prefigurement. I mean, bridged earth and heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was the box that contained the old law, right. uh, and that was that, that was the box that the Hebrews had that contained the Ten, Ten Commandments and um, the manna and you know the Aaron's rod that budded with almond blossoms. Anyway, that, now we're getting really into the Bible yeah. now, but. Um, Mary was the new Ark of the Covenant because she contained within her the new law. Um, The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was placed behind the altar in the Holy of Holies and was only um, opened once a year on the Day of Atonement, which is something that the the Jews still have, Yom Kippur. Um, The Ark of the Covenant was covered in a red and blue cloth um, in front of it. That's why Mary in our icons is always uh, depicted with red and blue in the iconography. Um, so she she's looked at as the Ark of the Covenant. That's why her icon is placed behind the altar as well, because the Ark of the Covenant was behind the altar in the Old Testament as well. So there's, again, I mean, we only have a 20-minute podcast yeah. here. We have, well, that's we what I, I was kind of leading up to yeah. that. I would usually answer that in the Orthodoxy. Okay. Um, it's not a matter of um, genders and one is um, stronger than the other. It's a matter of roles in the church and symbolism, and we are very Semitic in nature, which you're, you're actually reinforcing here. So, you know, if we go back to the Old Testament, you know, um, some of my Jewish friends are amazed when I start explaining certain things. They're saying, well, that, gee, that's like what we do in our services. And I say, well, yes, I mean, I mean, Jesus was a Jew and basically, you know, he lived as a, a Jewish, um, teacher, you know, a prophet. So, you know, we pretty much, you know, the Old Testament plays a part uh very much leading up to what he represented for uh you know into the new testament so i think there's that that notion um i think in in our faith we we have a strong tie to the history of that uh where in maybe other denominations it's more been thin thinned down or not even um presented in that manner. Yeah, and actually, I mean, with when it comes to the Old Testament, because we don't take everything word for word anymore. Right. I mean, it's not the letter of the law. Right. But Christ himself even said, I did not come to abolish the law, but right. to fulfill it. Right. Um, so, yeah. So Old Testament very much still informs a lot of what we do. Exactly. 
Right. Um, real quick, I, I looked up the passage. And it's Revelation 12.1. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So obviously the early Christians who even knew Panagia um, interpreted that to be her right away. Right. right. Um, female priesthood is a little bit different. You know, the, the, um, the short answer for that one is it's just the, it has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority of the genders. I mean, St. Paul even says in Christ there is no man, nor, neither man nor woman, slave nor free, Jew, Greek, etc. So it's not about one being superior to the other. Simply put, there's just no precedent for it. I mean, in the Old Testament, you know, when God appointed priests, it was Aaron and his sons. It was it was the males of the tribe. Um, the there were certain, you know, obviously Old Testament, New Testament saints after the New Testament, and all the way down to today, there has never been any kind of precedent of female priests. Um, however, however, there were female prophetesses. There were there were female deacons. There were female apostles. There were female martyrs. There are female saints. There are female monastics. There's females of, I mean, you know, this is kind of the topic that I wanted to address today is that our church actually um, very much empowers women in our faith. Um, we are one of the few, you know, I would say world religions um, that give women um, such a place of prominence. I mean, you, you look around the world, there's just not, right. there's just not a whole lot of, uh, not just, not just female religious figures but i mean even in terms of you know priesthood and stuff um uh, you know it, it's um it's very much a strength in christianity yeah it's you know even though it is patriarchal yes we do have a strong um role for women i think they're the ones that continued our faith through the centuries uh when greece was occupied by the turks really if it wasn't for the yayas and the mothers and teaching the children you know, underground with their faith, not just the priests and the, I mean, the men were out there fighting. So who was continuing that faith? But the, mm -hmm. the, the women and the, what they represented and, you know, they took on the banner of what Panaya represented. And I think, um, you know, uh, to bring it down to something sim simply as gender, you can't even compare the two. It's, it's just, it, when you're talking about spirituality, the gender does not take place. Exactly. I, it, yeah. Exactly. No, very well said. I hadn't thought of it from the standpoint of the you know the Greek Revolution, but but you're you're very correct. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're saying other world religions, yes, I think women in other parts of the world where they're still living like they did two thousand years ago, mm -hmm. uh, they are considered chattel. They're considered, you know, they don't have the rights of men in those countries. Whereas in our modern day societies, you know, we have equal rights for both genders. So, um, you know, it's, uh, not to condemn any other faiths and what they believe. It's just that there are, uh, if you're going to compare the two, I think, uh, yes, we definitely, uh, have a very strong presence of what a woman's role is in orthodoxy. Totally agree. And you know, if you want to, if you want to use that to segue into our topic today with pop culture, sure. Um, I think that's something that, you know, we really should underline when we talk to people about certain things. I mean, you know, I mean, about this topic, I mean, you look nowadays, um, just take, you know, comic book movies, for example, um, Wonder Woman came out last mm -hmm. year. Um, it was a huge, huge hit. And one of the reasons, excuse me, that it was a huge hit 
was the fact that people celebrated that it's a strong woman who's also a role model and she's, you know, she's heroic and all these things. I mean, you brought in a whole, you know, there's probably a whole generation of little girls that now have Wonder Woman or Gal Gadot posters on their wall. And she stands for good against evil, you know, and, right. and her, her island of where she grew up, they were protecting something sacred and, you know, they, they were, help, you know, protecting mankind and that was their purpose. And, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I think it's great. I mean, even, you know, in the Avengers, Black Widow, very strong character, you know, mm -hmm. she, uh, you know, she is, she takes the lead three quarters of the time for the team. So, uh, it's nice to see. And I mean, we'll see more with, uh, probably after Infinity War with Captain Marvel coming along, you know, a lot of these other female characters. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to see. I think that, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say in the last 10 years, um, the largest growing demographic of comic book fans and probably comic book movies by extension are, I think, female yeah. um, you know, fans. So now the, the movie studios are getting wind of this and trying to set up more movies that have strong women and you know it's something that it's something that we've been affirming in our faith for thousands of years already right you know figures in like i said figures in the bible and um to bring it back to that you know religion standpoint i mean how many other world religions have figures like panagia you know the mother of god um that are that prominent in their faith i i honestly can't think of any i mean at least any that have been around for you know you know, more than a hundred years or whatever. And, and even then probably, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's good because obviously we don't do it for this reason, but one of the benefits of this is it does um, give both men and women. Um, but, but especially, but mostly women, you know, and young women uh, a chance to look for, look up to someone and, and have a role model. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, even outside of superheroes, I mean, we see more women getting involved in politics. Uh, you're seeing a lot more CEOs and COOs in many companies where women, and honestly, I feel women bring a, a um, uh, what's the term, um, a reality where there's not, you know, I think men tend <laughs> to get a little, uh, uh, you know, they bring some civility to the table where I think men, I've seen this over and over again, uh, tend to be very uh, confrontational. Maybe and that's the ge genetic makeup, you know, the alpha dog <laughs> versus the alpha dog, where women kind of just diffuse that. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, even actually the creator of Wonder Woman uh, believe that, you know, in 50 years, women will be ruling the world. You know, we will have an Amazonian uh, world. And, hey, maybe we're better for it. You never know. Less or worse. <laughs> Maybe I mean there's no doubt that women bring a lot to the table. Uh, as far as Woman, Wonder Woman's creator goes, the, the yeah. less said about William Moulton Marston, I think, the better. <laughs> he was unique, that's for sure. He was definitely a unique character, but uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, not, not. I wasn't feeling a lot of the stuff that he was writing. But anyway, um, I have to say though, I've been watching The Crown with my wife on Netflix. Oh yeah, and it's uh -huh. about young Elizabeth, and she's an amazing. I get that's great. Woman. Yeah, it's yeah. an amazing woman. 
who came, you know, I'm, I was never a big fan of the worlds of how they were presented on TV, but when you get into the biography and you're hearing their family likes these shows and they're really doing the research of how she dealt with Churchill during World War II and even, um, her uncle that abdicated and how he had ties with the Nazis and how she handled that. It's just amazing how there's these things that a little turn to the right, the world map could be different today, you know, and these, Women stepped forward and kept the peace, you know, and she's, she's one example. And even though the royals get a bad rap, I do, I do highly admire, you know, because they have a tough life. I mean, even though they're, they're the, probably the wealthiest people on the planet, they have to live a certain way. And they are involved in politics and groomed from, a, you know, a, a, an early age. And, um, you know, I find her a very strong woman. And I think Diana was very strong. And I love what she did for philanthropy. And they're actually planning to do a show on Continue the Crown based on her. So uh, hopefully that'll oh, be cool. good. Yeah. I haven't heard that. Yeah, it's definitely on my queue, the Crown. Yeah, very well done. Great actors. Great writing. But, um, yeah, so uh, how did the services go? I mean, how many did you have attend today? <laughs> Uh, we had we had uh, we had a good crowd. You, did you ask me how many came? Yeah, I was just curious how many appeared. Today. Well, we we're a small parish, yeah. but we probably had a, uh, about fifty, at least that's fifty good. people today. That's you know, good. for for a weekday, that's great. Yeah, you know, we, um, we, and people brought out the glacia. You know, the yeah, the the, sure, the, sure. the loaves and everything. It was it was really really nice. No, I just you know I I was just thinking of um, you know uh, you mentioned about you know women getting involved in leadership. Um, I want to say that statistically speaking, um, slightly more than half, uh, 55, 60% maybe of parish council presidents in the country right now for the Greek Orthodox churches are female. Oh, really? I did not know that. I knew the Philoptos was going strong with ladies auxiliary, but, uh. Oh, if you love this ladies, get stuff done, man. And that's when you were saying yesterday, uh, yesterday, just a minute ago about how, you know, women bring something unique to the table. Those ladies are just, you know, dynamos. They get so much done. They're very philanthropic. Absolutely. You know, moms, moms get stuff done, man. If I wasn't relying on yeah. moms, first for well, you know, I think, I think someone who gives birth uh, and goes through that kind of pain and suffer. I mean, there is a, there is a suffering there and there is, I mean, they always say you can never, Men can never experience childbirth of what they go through, and I think that's true. I mean, my mom with my brother went through 48 hours of labor with a breech birth. I mean, I can't imagine doing anything fun for 48 hours. <laughs> so, you know, they have a resilience. They have a, uh, you know, they're, I think they're, uh, in, uh, God gave them this, you know, strength. You know, they're, the, they're mama bear. They're going to protect the, the litter and, uh, and, and the cubs and, and that's the case. And, um, you know, and I look back and, and maybe we can segue into this where I was telling you before we started recording a personal story with August 15th and our family. It's a very, very important holiday for us. My grandmother was one of those very strong women back in the 1930s. In fact, she was considered probably a woman liber uh, in the time, but she was very involved in, in the church and the Philoptos and the Daughters of Penelope and all those organizations, uh, that were associated with the Greek community. And she, um, she was actually, she had ownership of a restaurant in Camden, New Jersey called the Arcadia. And it was a well-known, like, 24-hour round-the-clock diner restaurant. And, during the World War II years, she used to keep it open year, even, well, I think, like, it never closed. She just was there all the time. So, 
because um, she she was dedicated to the servicemen coming in and out of the Philadelphia Harbor. Because back then, Camden on the other side of Philly, Philadelphia Naval Yard was a major base uh, for the military to come through. Navy, Army, Air Force, they had a, uh, Air Force um, base as well. Army Air Force or Army Air Corps before the Air Force was created uh, was there as well, and. Um, she also was wound up selling the most war bonds uh, in in Camden, cool. New Jersey. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, actually came to visit her and give her a special award. And there's a picture of her shaking his hand. I actually have the portrait of her the day they took it, but I can't find the picture. I've been going through all these old photographs, being part of our Heritage Society, hoping to find that someday. Um, but, yes, she, she met... President Roosevelt, and she had a very uh, unique life. Um, after my mother uh, got married, she actually was pregnant with her second child. Uh, during my mother's wedding, she was like 40, it was 17 years between uh, my, um, my mother and her sibling, younger brother. Uh, when he was a child, though, age two and a half, he started tripping. And they thought it was his shoes, and then they took him to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor says, get him immediately to Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia. He's hemorrhaging behind his eyes. So when they did it, they did the check, they saw that he had a brain tumor. Uh, so called an astrocytoma, where it was located once they did the scans. And back then, you know, all you had was x-ray. You did not have chemotherapy. They had only radiation-type therapies, what they call cobalt. It was very harsh, very scarring. So... um they basically had to go through that route. And I think after six months of treatment, you know, they were getting to the point saying he's not going to survive. He's not going to see, you know, his fourth or fifth year. And, um, uh, one night my mother was asleep and she heard commotion downstairs. And my grandmother was living in the house I'm in now, which was our family home. And she's pacing back and forth and talking to herself, but I promised, but I promised. And my mom, mother said, yeah, Mama, what's wrong? Why, why are you so upset? She goes, I promised Panayia that I would bring him to her altar. If she, you know, if she just heals him, I will get him there. And, you know, we got to get him there. And it, she says, it's, it's, it's eating away at me. So my mom went to the doctors. They said, absolutely not. We can't send this child in a plane. Back then, they didn't even have jet. They had propeller planes. And my mom really fought the case, said, if he's going to die, let him die there. Um, so they made her sign waivers that if something happened, the hospital and the doctors would not be blamed. So my grandmother and my uncle John, uh, at the time, little, the little four-year-old, he, they flew to Athens to my father's family, and then they took the boat to Tino on August 15th, made the pilgrimage up. And, of course, if no one's ever heard of how this happens, is most people that come to the foot of the island kneel all the way up to the church, and it's a bit of a trek. Of course, Johnny couldn't, so they wheelchaired him up and wheeled him into the church, and they were there for the services at night. And he started, my grandmother said he started to look better and feel better. And when they flew back, he wasn't, he wasn't having the impaired um, balance or anything. And they took him back to his follow-up appointment and, and the tumor had become benign. 
So the, the doctors were amazed. He was written up in journals and things like that. And, you know, he was four at the time and he lived into his late forties. He didn't die from the brain tumor. Uh, he actually was a caregiver for quadriplegics. He was, um, like a LPN type nurse and contracted, um, um, bacterial through a cut and developed sepsis, which took him very quickly. Um, but, you know, I think he was, that's what his, um, purpose was in this life. You know, he was saved for a reason and he became a caregiver for other people who were ill. And, um, you know, we, you know, I've missed him greatly. It's been since 2002, he passed away. I'm actually his age now that he passed. And, um, you know, it's something we always celebrated greatly. And it's, it's very much a special day for us. And my brother is a Panayoti and we celebrate his name day and in the memory of my grandmother, who was a Mary. So, uh, you could say we did have that miraculous, uh, event happen. And we've heard other families who are friends of, who have gone to Tina, you know, the same thing. They've had healings. That's beautiful, Chris. I was getting, yeah, emotional listening to that story. Yeah. It is. It's very emotional. I mean, uh, for any child to be sick. Uh, oh, and he did say that when they asked him, when he came back to New Jersey, Philadelphia, he said, you know, when you were there, did you happen to hear or see anything that looked different? She says, well, I, I kept seeing this pretty lady smiling at me, and she had like a, a thing over her face, and they, he kind of was talking about a veil, and she would just keep smiling at me. So I'm sure it was Panayia looking at him and, you know, healing, you know, praying on his behalf, the healing service. It just goes to show you, I mean, you know, for people that dismiss miracle stories as being just like placebos or they're saying it could actually happen. And but if it's just a positive thinking or whatever, when a kid is three years old or whatever, the kid doesn't know what a placebo is or what's going on. I mean. We have a three-year-old right now. He doesn't, I mean, he, he recognizes the icon, but I mean, to tell him this is what you have and it's terminal and you're going to be healed if we go here and there, there's no, there's no psychological, no. Uh, you know, thing that can happen that, that all of a sudden, you know, waves a magic wand and heals him. I mean, there has to be something very deeply spiritual and very real about this. And you see crutches laying there in wheelchairs. In fact, there's a story where a young uh, woman uh, had told us when she was a young girl, they went there to pay respect to the island because one of their family members was healed generations back. And there was a young girl paralyzed from the waist down in a wheelchair. And as soon as they got to the steps of the actual church uh, on the mount, the, the father couldn't move the wheelchair. And two other men came over, and three and four, and they could not lift and move the chair. All of a sudden, the girl got up and walked out of the chair, and then they could move it and toss it to the side. Like something prevented that chair from going wow. up there. So not, four men could not lift it. She said she never forgot it. It was just like an amazing thing to witness. And my, my favorite story is of the, the blind man who asked to have his sight restored, and he would sculpt Panaya something, the first thing that he saw, and what he saw was an orange tree, and there is that silver uh, orange tree that he had sculpted for in the church itself. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. 
That's so amazing. next time I go to Greece, I have to pay my visit to Tino's. That's only right. It always is a good idea to go there and at least light a candle. Absolutely. Say prayers because she cares about us so much. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, the moral of the story would be, you know, uh, for anyone listening, um, how much um, power and strength and joy comes from being a Christian and from having our prayers uh, conveyed in this way to these very holy people, um, to God. And, you know, that uh, in terms of the role models, again, I mean, she's a role model for everyone, but especially for young girls, too. So young girls have a lot of role models. I mean, we see them in movies. We got, like we said, Wonder Woman earlier. I didn't even bring up my uh, my favorite and probably the trailblazer was, you know, the X-Men and all the great, you know, the strong women mm-hmm. there that are in the movies. But obviously little girls also have, you know, Panagia first and foremost. So, you know, thank yeah. God for that. Yeah, thank God is right. Absolutely. Well, I don't know. Are we ready to go on to the trivia part of this? Uh, <laughs> all right. So I think I suggested we talk about either movies from the summer of 86 or 87. So I don't know. Did you get time to look up anything? or? I did. I did. So I'm going to do a little bit something different uh, okay. for this trivia section. Instead of just ask you questions and wait for an answer, I'm going to play a song. Okay. Uh, it's not necessarily a song from a movie in 86, um, but uh, it's from a famous movie in the 80s. And uh, I'm going to play it a little bit, and then you guess what it is. And then you ask me the tra- time, okay? Okay. Hang on. Okay, that one's not, that one's not going. <laughs> Let me know if you can hear. Yeah, I can hear it. So what movie? Well, it's been in several, but I would say Pretty in Pink. Okay. Wow, you're an expert, man. Okay, go for it. Go for it. This, this that 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 song was the like the quintessential cornerstone, I guess, of of one movie in particular from the '80s that was huge. Great. Okay, let's see if you know. Um, actually, you know. I mean, did, wait, did, did you answer? Did you answer it? Oh. Pretty in pink. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, I I hadn't thought of that one. I was thinking Breakfast Club, but but it, okay. Yeah, it's also in Pretty in Pink. So anything okay. John Hughes. It's a John Hughes song that John permeates. Hughes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I could have said Breakfast Club too, but yeah. But no, I, I I'll take half a point. Okay. Sounds good. All right, go Hopefully. for the next one. <laughs> you want me to go to the next one? Yeah, go for the next one. Okay, let's do let's do this one now. Why am I looking it up and the scene like hang on. Here we go. I gotta do my tech support better next time. It's fine. Um, my wife would be very disappointed if I didn't get this one. <laughs> Nobody puts baby in the corner. <laughs> Dirty dance. <laughs> so, okay, I, w- I was going to qualify what you just said by saying our wives would be very disappointed yeah. <laughs> if you got that wrong. Yeah. If it's Grease That's or one of my Dirty, favorite movies, Dirty Anything dancing. from Grease or Dirty Dancing, if I didn't pick up on it, she'd be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember Patrick Swayze I, I and uh, else. Jennifer yeah. Grey dancing down the aisle with that song. Yeah. <laughs> She was actually, I guess, in Dancing with the Stars and like totally cleaned up with she and her partner. I mean, they just they dominated that. Oh uh, yeah, I my wife, yeah, my wife was watching. By, 
It's amazing through osmosis what you learn when you're a, when you're a married man. Actually, what plays in the background while you're doing I loved stuff. her in another John Hughes film, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She played the sister who was miserable that Ferris was getting all the attention. Well, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And cool. you, one more and then I'll go. We got, we got one more. Yes. Uh, Let this one go for a little bit because I don't know if you're going to get it right away. Oh, it's, but that's... That's easy. This is Cobra Kai. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. <laughs> Sweep the leg. <laughs> Karate Kid. That that one that one is with if you're uh, if you're fighting the dojo of Cobra Kai. Yes. Actually, I just I just binge watched the sequel. Uh, yeah, was that any good? Cobra, the Cobra Kai show. Yeah, it's on uh, YouTube Red. And I did the trial. It wasn't bad, but it, I have to say it was corny. You know, there were parts of that were good, but I have to say it was actually kind of a little vulgar. I mean, it's not for kids. So it's like, you know, it's not, you know, if I look back at the original Karate Kid, I'm like, I can't show this to my son. You know, he watches a Karate Kid with me. Uh, but, you know, I, I can see where they're going with it. It's just, it's it's a little cheese ball, though. But I strange love the original that they, that Karate did, Kid. Yeah. Strange that they did the rival dojo as a show. I don't know. Um, one fun fact about Karate Kid that gives it a lot of credibility in my book, even though I rewatched it again a couple of years ago, it was okay. You know, it was it was cool. You know, when you were younger. But um, no, it was it was the same director as the first Rocky movie. It was John Avildsen. Oh, yeah. That's funny. I didn't know that. Okay. All right. Um, this movie came out in. July of 1986. This is one of my favorite movies. It's a John Carpenter film, and one of the key lines in it is, you know what Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. That's not Escape from New York, is it? No, not Escape. I'll give you a hint. There's big in the title. Oh, Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China. I didn't know that was John Carpenter. I never saw that That's one. a John Carpenter film. It's like a homage to the old martial arts. Kind of has yeah. a supernatural superhero element to it. So he was cool. like, you know, it's just, I always liked Kurt Russell, and I thought he was great in that film. Also, yeah, he was in Escape from New York as well. Escape Makes from sense. New York, The Thing. Oh, boy. That, that was the thing a, was horrible. Yeah. Hated I know it's a, it's got a huge cult following or whatever. Not a fan. Yeah, the I mean the special effects are amazing, but yeah, it's 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 a tough one. Okay. Um, oh, in 1986, um, this movie came out with Tom Cruise, and he was a fighter pilot. And what was the name of the unit? What was the name of the unit? The unit. Hmm. Well, you're obviously talking about Top Gun, and I remember that because one of my cousins, I'm going to say from like 1987 to like 1993 or something, had that poster on her wall in her room of, of uh, Tom Cruise and whoever his – I forget the actress that played his flight instructor. Oh, uh, 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 yeah. His, uh, the woman or the man? The woman. No, uh, it wasn't. I know. Kelly, yeah, he, Kelly McGillis, yeah. Okay, so you know better than I do. Um, I don't remember the name of his unit, though. It's Top Gun. <laughs> well, Top it's Gun a Top Gun unit. <laughs> Man, that goes to show it. Yeah. I saw that movie once years ago, and the conclusion I came to was, okay, this is a chick flick disguised as a guy movie. Yeah, there's some really good fighting scenes in it with the planes. In fact, the sequel's in works now with Tom Cruise. I heard that. Where he's heard playing that. an instructor, and Val Kilmer's back as an instructor, and I think it's... 
his friend, who was his co-pilot that died in the movie, his son now becomes a young pilot, and there's some sort of rivalry between Val Kilmer mm. and Tom Cruise has to come in and save the day. Really sounds far fetched, <laughs> but you know, yeah. I'll, I'll check it out though. Yeah. Okay, another um, movie that came out in July of '86. This was a follow-up to a very popular science fiction movie in 1979, and it was made by Ridley Scott. And this time it was plural in the title versus a singular name. Aliens. Aliens. Yes. I remember seeing that in college when it was uh, – they did some kind of a fan fest week or something of old movies. And I remember seeing a bunch of different things like um, I saw Casablanca. Um, I saw – I forget what else they played. Um, they premiered a couple too anyways, and Aliens was one of those. I actually very much um, – Okay, so obviously you have to qualify it. You gotta, there's some, you, you gotta use your uh, Christian filter with aliens. No, oh, sure. But, um, but I prefer aliens to Ali the first alien because the first one was more sci fi horror, the second one was more sci fi action. Exactly. When you have yeah. the, the Marines and how there's multiple aliens and stuff, it was, it, it made for a cool movie. Yeah, it made it more like a Starship Troopers where there was a, it was an insect mind. It's a hive that they're taking on. Yeah, absolutely. It was enjoyable. It was it, in the eighties. Everything was, uh, you know, this action flick and Schwarzenegger everywhere. You know, so, it was glorious. Yeah, it was um, glorious. Okay, and my final one. Um, well, this actually is on the cusp of summer. Came out. It was a independent film, and it actually starred a Australian. Um, uh, celebrity who gained world fame after this movie and uh, the famous line from it, that's not a knife. Now that's a knife. <laughs> <laughs> I just said that line to one of my altar boys this morning when he was cutting the oh, really? liturgy. <laughs> you call that a knife? <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, absolutely. Another one of my <laughs> favorites. Uh, Paul Hogan, right? Was the, yeah, uh, Paul was the Hogan. actor. Actually, I'm doing that in honor of my friend uh, Teddy, who hosts on Cosmos Philly. He's in Australia right now. And he's uh, been there since August 1st. He went to visit his cousin, Lef Teddy, uh, who uh, they haven't seen each other in 25 years. And he met his mother's brother for the first time. And I'll actually wow. send you the video. He made a little video, and it's it's quite uh, – makes your eyes fill up because they're on South Adelaide, Australia, out on a farm and a ranch. And uh, this boy from Philly comes over to see the family. It was a, it was a surprise to see, you know, for his uh, cousin to see him cool. since 27 cool. years ago. Yeah. So, uh, a, lot of, a lot of Greeks in Australia. A lot of Greeks, yeah. Outside of Chicago and Montreal, I think Australia is the next biggest – Really? Yeah, Melbourne, Sydney. We have I, my wife and I both have family in Melbourne, but we've never been. Yeah, we have family in Sydney and Melbourne. I've never been either. So, hmm. but my mom has cousins over there. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're getting... Bring, bringing it back to our bringing it back to our trivia real quick. All those movies came out in the summer of '86. Mm -hmm. Wow, I got I there's got to be a Wikipedia page. If you go to it. summer of '86 or '80, actually '87 is a good one too because you had. Movies like RoboCop, um, 
Masters of the Universe, He-Man and Masters of the Universe. Oh, man, what a bad movie that was. It was bad, but still so it bad was it was enjoyable. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's become like the quintessential cult classic. Yeah. You know, so bad it's good. Yeah, yeah. they were uh, they were more um, pretty much straightforward, you know. No, no agendas in all those movies. There's just the shock <laughs> value. <laughs> right, right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Well, I think we haven't had another successful episode, so um, thank you for joining us. And um, we will be posting this not only on Cosmos Philly, but it's now up on iTunes, and we're figuring out Stitcher. I had a little technical glitch, but I'm sure it'll be up there soon. <laughs> All the episodes, and you can catch this one in a in a hopefully a week or two. And uh, I want to thank Father again for joining me and suggesting we do this uh, podcast on the holiday, the Dormition of the Theotokos, and taking time out of his busy day. Chris, thank you very much for all that you're doing, and God bless you and your family. Same to you, Father. Talk to you soon. Have a great rest of the summer, everybody. Yep, same here. <laughs>